Welcome to Wah Wonders Why, a companion podcast that's smart enough to know better. This episode is titled Book Club Children of Existential Crisis. I would have to admit that science fiction is my favorite genre of novels. That's probably why we do this science fiction book club. But the reason I like it is it allows us to have fun adventures and spacey futuristic settings. But the best part is we are able to take apart one little idea and explore it. I recommended Children of Memory, the third book in the Adrian Tchaikovsky trilogy of the uh, Children of Time books to our good friend, Dr. Natasha Hurley Walker. About a month later, I get a panicked series of text messages saying, this book has ruined my life. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen, the conversation that has led from me recommending a book to Dr. Natasha Hurley Walker. I've been very busy recently in work and with the podcast and with doing theatre and plays and writing and all sorts of things. Ridiculously busy, far too busy to do anything else. My plate has been full. When you get a message from Associate Professor Natasha Hurley Walker to put everything down and do an emergency book club, that's what you do. Hello, Associate Professor Natasha. How are you? Hi, Greg. I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. And you are an Associate Professor now. Congratulations. We have no time for that. <laughs> thanks, no Greg. Time. Moving on, moving on. Do We're have- not worried about your amazing science career or research capabilities or intelligence and perseverance in this male-dominated research environment. No! No, no. We're and, here to talk about And my two nature papers and my very successful ARC grant record. Oh, no. Or my graduated students or perhaps my H-index. No, no, sorry. We don't have time. <laughs> no. No one cares. No one cares, Associate Professor Natasha. No one cares at all. So we're here, <laughs> we're here to talk Ah, oh dear. We're here to talk about... Well, what are we here to talk about? You tell me. Okay. Well, the problem is I had a little bit of uh, a, a major, major, minor, major, I'd say major existential crisis recently. And I am going to blame you, Greg, because this is a direct result of you suggesting a particular book to read. So much so that I, I closed it. I, I, I thought about things for a minute. And then I thought, well, there's just no point then, is there? There's just no point to any of this. <laughs> And I realized that the true, the true hero in this universe is probably a fungus Mm. and everybody else should just, just give up, to be honest. So I thought I, I really needed to talk this through with you because I need you to tell me that it's, it's worth keeping on going. Obviously that H index isn't going to get any bigger by itself. So I have something to live for. But aside from that, I, I just need some reassurance that I, I haven't just, ruined consciousness for everybody so i think that means we've got to talk through the children of time trilogy by adrian tchaikovsky probably starting with the second book because that's the way we roll here on the podcast absolutely so we have talked about children of time before those who don't remember that was the one about humanities having a real bad time and but they're sending out uplifting technology as in 
bringing lesser inverted comma species into the world and giving them intelligence and giving them terraformed planets to live on and and basically seeding the universe with human or earth-based life it all goes horribly wrong due to terrorism and instead of apes uplifting some spiders uplift and form their own civilization it's a great story and ends with and they get smarter and smarter over thousands, if not millions of years, or no, tens of thousands of years. And they create a great civilization that's, well, obviously it's once again, and we talked about this before when we talked about the animal podcast, it's got, even though they have nothing to do with humans, they seem to generate a human-like civilization. Look, we can forgive that. I'll forgive that. And But it's an amazing story. Wow, I feel like I'm bagging a book I love a lot. And when the humans turn up finally, these barbaric humans who are coming to destroy everything, the spiders who are meter-long body, or meter-long at the legs, I think, they're big spiders, very smart with space technology. Uh, I had the heebies when they're from the human point of view, and the humans are like, where do you kill them? Oh, my God, they're spiders. And I was like, and they're like coming through the walls. And I was like, oh, I'm having a horrible moment because they're going to get eaten by giant spiders. And the giant spiders are like, hey, hey, everyone be cool. Yeah, they're, cool. they're talking in their lovely sign language, like, hello, have you come from outside? We're very interested in, in discussing things. Ah, I've been shot! Um, I mean, horrible <laughs> monsters are attacking us from orbit. <laughs> it's a lovely inversion of the bug-eyed monsters invade the Earth yeah. trope. It's wonderful. But, but they don't go, let's eat them and put our babies in their thorax. They, they're like, oh, it's because they don't have connection to us. They don't understand us. They're not capital H humans. Yeah. They're small H humans. So by giving them a perspective, like memories and understanding, basically built into them, like basically infecting them with understanding, it's very hard to kill something that you now understand. That's right. They they uplift the humans at the end of the story. So the humans have uplifted the spiders sort of by accident. And then at the end, the spiders are like, oh, you poor, sweet, empathy- lacking species you need help and they help us and so we become humans with a capital h and that's a it's a wonderful inversion of all of these science fiction tropes and it's brilliant and as you say that the 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 spiders are quite human-like there's not a lot of questions around animal or other kind of alien consciousness raised in this book. There's a little touch on AI consciousness in that there's uh, like this sort of super intelligent AI that's been uh, on ice for 10,000 years, just thinking slow thoughts and, is she it in thinks, this book? She thinks she's super intelligent. She thinks she's super intelligent. I sometimes intelligent, wonder yeah. how, I mean, yes, she's a very smart person. She was, and, and this is a very good copy of a very smart person. But I think she thinks, let's just say she's, I think, very impressed by her own story, much more than her actual AI super intelligence. Yeah, yeah. And she gets kind of translated into ants, essentially. Yes. <laughs> This book sounds so yes. wild when you try and explain it, but the, the computer <laughs> systems are sort of falling apart, like the, the, the digital systems. But the spiders are like, that's fine. We use ants as computers and they somehow translate Vrana Kern, I think her name is, mm. into the mm-hmm. ant matrix. Okay, so at the end of Children of Time, we've had a really wacky adventure with uplift, uplift, uplift here, uplift there, uplift everywhere. And at the end, everyone's friends. The humans are friends, the AI is friend, the spiders are friends, and they all go off 
into space on like a big let's explore the universe and just see what happened to the rest of human civilization see what happened mm. to all the other terraforming missions that were sent out mm. to try and kind of fast terraform these planets and, and do the uplifting thing let's see what happened so that's where they sort of leave it and then that's where children of ruin begins which we haven't discussed on the podcast no, before that's as far as this as far as it's ever been so buckle in oh by the way gentle listener spoilers 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 we are holding back nothing at the, for these ones so we, we need to spoil everything to get to the existential crisis. We, we can't do. just dibble over this. So if you have not read Children of Time, Children of Ruin, the next one, and Children of Memory, then maybe stop listening right now and go read them. They're really worthwhile reading. The first one especially. I love Children of Time. It's one of my favorite sci-fi books yeah, ever. Absolutely. And honestly, if you've read Children of Time, here spoilers commence. You've also read Children of Ruin. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, you really have. You absolutely have. Mm. It's like Adrian went, Adrian, like, oh, first name basis with Adrian Tchaikovsky. And it's always like he went, the author went, oh, I've, I had so many possibilities I could have written. Yes, yes, we did spiders and humans, but what about octopuses? Let's do and octopuses. You're like, yeah. Let's just do, why not? Let's like, just and, do that and, then. and why not? Like, I mean, really, why not? Entirely so, fair. I, I, octopi. Am I okay? We need to draw the line here. Is it octopuses or is it octopi? Cause it's octopuses. <sighs> it's, 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 we talked about this on the podcast before. Technically it's octopodes, oh, but it's not. But it's, Octop- it's not. It, it would, in Greek, it would be octopodes, but the octopi would be, is the Latinization of a Greek root word. So it's not how it works. And, but, but in English, the plural is Pusses. Okay. So we, we don't use it. So you wouldn't, this is like, you're not going to say octopodes. You don't, you shouldn't say octopi. In English, it's octopuses. Why do we do this for some words like alumnus and alumni? And we don't for others. I'm so Because confused. octopuses are important and alumni are not. Oh. Or alumni, <laughs> alumni are older. Perhaps we, we were. We've been using that in the same sense for oh, maybe, thousand yes. years. Oh my god! Yes. Etymologists yes. everywhere, get in touch. What we are getting this so wrong? I'm sure. All right, but let us know. Write in and tell us. They encounter octopuses that have previously been uplifted. I think this was sort of slightly less by mistake. It was more that the humans were having a bit of a a, a problem. Like that ship didn't wasn't doing so well in that system and they kind of did like a last ditch well let's just throw some sentience viruses and some octopi on octopuses onto this water planet i'm gonna keep making that mistake and we'll just see what happens but we're, we'll be dead but you know maybe we we helped the, the universe yeah, in some way the the guy who the his name the their version of kern from the first one so the clever scientist was a man in that one if i remember correctly he really really liked fish and things in the sea he was he had like aquariums galore he brought like massive aquariums ones that you could swim in mm. on the spaceship which is a whole thing all by itself but anyway then they downloaded they got the final message from earth which is basically a virus that said destroy yourself mm. and and so they lost everything on the ship i think everything was dying no one i don't think anyone on the ship liked the octopus idea but at the end of the day when everything's blowing up it's like do this or do nothing yeah exactly so they did it they dropped the octopuses down and they were already very smart to begin mm. with if i it's i should have got a i really should have done my job and again <laughs> before this review but i think he was already tinkering with them he before was, the yeah. virus i think they were smart than a normal smart octopus 
anyway. Yeah, and I think that actually they may even have had a foothold on the water planet and they were testing them out with like, okay, you know, build little tools, build little octopus dwellings and things even before everything went wrong. And it was like, all right, good luck. We're dead. Have fun. Um, can I can I just tell you an octopus story very quickly, again, which made story. me laugh. I, I, this, this is lovely. You realize how, like, yes, we're all very different on planet Earth, but you realize how close everything on planet Earth actually is. There's a wonderful video of a a female octopus sitting all by herself, quite bigger than the males, just hanging out by herself, doing her own thing. And then this male's like, hey, baby, how about you and I have some babies? And she, like, picks up a rock and, like, hurls it at him. <laughs> He's like, oh, and he runs away. And she's sitting by herself. And then a different male's like, hey, baby, how are you doing? She's like, another rock, go away. And she's she's just, like, launching. And they're like, oh, they'll leave. And you go... I feel I'm watching a nightclub yeah. just underwater where it's just a, a lone, a lone lady's just having a quiet drink, mm. just, just chilling at the end of the day. And all these guys are like, how are you doing? And she's like, not today, idiot. Today. And hell's a rock at the head. It's great. <laughs> That's right. I, so yes, with, with seeing. Absolutely. I love octopuses. Like I, I go snorkeling a fair bit in the summer when it's warm and octopuses are definitely the only thing that ever seems to be aware that I am also like a person or like something that something separate from just the general morass of sea life fish fish are idiots octopus <laughs> so there's this fish there's this idiot. one that like always hangs out in the same place on a particular wreck that i like to visit and i like to go and take a photo of it and like up the third time that i did this it just reached out and took the camera oh wow <laughs> and i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> and I let go. Did you get it back? Well, I had it on my wrist, right? So I felt okay. terrible yes, because, yeah. of course, I, I didn't want to touch it or hurt it in any way. Mm. So I let go of the camera. I was like, fine, you know, have the camera. I forgot that it was on my wrist. And, of course, I was diving. So I started to ascend. So I brought the octopus with me. I didn't mean to. It held onto the camera for quite some time. It sort of ascended together. And then it went nah and it let go and it went off back to its little perch and it just sat there for a bit i felt a bit bad for disrupting it you know you really want to like mm. leave nothing no. but footprints kind of thing or even less um sucker sucker prints sucker yeah prints. well you don't want to touch anything when you're snorkeling because it could be mm. a stonefish but um, exactly right in the sea it will kill you yeah. that's the that's the other thing it's like oh but i love that the curiosity that it was like mm. why do you keep putting this blue shiny thing in my face i'm just gonna mm-hmm. reach out and see what this is and 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 give it a go like, it was, i think it was also tasting it i think it was mm. they taste to their some of their arms uh i think yeah, it has six arms and two legs technically i think Aww. i think six of them are arms and two legs oh i may be really wrong i can't I think wait that's to right. hear from all the octopus oh, experts they are that's right yes but, but they, they, they they can actually taste with some of their arms <sighs> so maybe it was like going oh i wonder if this is edible and was just like working it out maybe but either way mm. it was a cool encounter and i still feel a bit bad about it like i'd apologize if i could speak octopus but uh, I never learned. Sorry. It understood. About the book. Fine. <laughs> go back to the book so then. The book is how the, the octopuses are essentially a sort of split personality. So they have mm. this emotional hood, basically, which is changing color all the time and, and sort of drives their motivation. And their motivations are actually relatively simple. Like, I want to look cool to the other octopuses. I want to <laughs> mate. I want to make art. Oh, they're very obsessed with, with like creating mm. n- new uh, visual experiences kind of thing. Art has changed. So you can't have a, you can't, an, octo- an octopus land, if I remember correctly, mm. art has to constantly change. Yeah. You can't just make a statue and go, that's art. Cause, well, it's, 
No, it's static. It's therefore it's not art. It's not art anymore. Yeah. So it has to be this constant stories. They're constantly telling each other stories about who they are and why they're here and how beautiful things are, but also uh, aggressively, you know, like I'm better than mm. you and you're rubbish and your faction can drown if you could drown an octopus you can't drown an octopus whatever you know they're kind of at war all the time because they don't have a lot of control over these emotions they're literally Mm. wearing their hearts on their sleeves Mm. because Mm. their emotions are immediately reflected in the i'm going to say chromophores yes sounds look why not that sounds good i can keep winding up the octopus experts and meanwhile they each have access to essentially an eight-part computing algorithm mm. little device which is each of their their tentacles has its own kind mm. of little brain in it and those are very unemotional and they'll just do calculations par- in parallel and then return things which is obviously mimicking how what we think about octopus intelligence mm. in uh, real life so it's it's cool it's a nice setting i just found it quite similar to mm-hmm. children of time with the exception that there is also the <laughs> fungus planet yes Yes, the whole different storyline of this. It was it a fungus, bacteria, amoeba. I can't remember cellular thing. One thing I, I think that there's a yeah. moment in every trilogy where you do the creepy hive mind single consciousness is going to wipe out all of the multi consciousnesses because yes. I've seen this yep. in Peter F. Hamilton's one of his series, not Night's Dawn. The other, I think this is the Commonwealth. Commonwealth, Commonwealth yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's the Commonwealth yeah. saga. They come across this, the primes, the, right? Where it's just that's right. Yes, the the the, the yes, the mountain. Say, yes, yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah, my goodness, it's scary, I've right? That. It's always scary. That's been done. I mean, it's been done a lot, right? I'm not complaining. This is a genuinely scary thing. I suppose the Borg from Star Trek, you could argue, is another kind of example of this, where every all the individuality has been subsumed into this single "We Are the Borg," and this is just such a niche reference but there's this fantastic video game series called homeworld where you are playing as like a fleet of ships that have their their home planet has been destroyed to the sound of adagio for strings which is really really sad opener anyway you have to go off and it's like a 3d sort of art space rts type thing it's really really beautifully done it's pretty like 30 years old at this point. Anyway, they did a few games, Homeworld 1, Homeworld 2, and so forth, but there was also Homeworld Cataclysm, where the creepy single consciousness from the other dimension of space starts taking over your ships, and they all start mm. being like, we are the void. It's like, mm. a, it's a standard trope, right? Yeah. So they do that in Children of Ruin. There's a, there's a- Cause we have this funny idea that we're all, we're so individual, yeah. everyone's so unique, and, uh, you know, like, Oh my goodness. And as Monty Python, you know, pointed out, you know, you're all individuals. You can think for themselves. Yes, we can think for ourselves. Everyone chances. <laughs> Sorry. I think human beings are very similar across the board most of the time. It makes it even worse yeah. when we're nasty to each other. And that's but, why uh, these books are so entertaining because it's sort of trying it's, to get us to think outside of our monkey brains. Yeah. I read a, a thing recently. I was reading an article about Penrose's one of Penrose's ideas about the interpretation of consciousness and quantum mechanics. And I really need to go and read the, the, the source material. But one of his competitors has the whole kind of Aleph consciousness idea that there's only one consciousness in the universe. Mm. And it's basically experiencing every possible mm-hmm. aspect that there is to experience through embodying itself in each of us, which I don't yes. think explains anything. But I came up with the same no. concept when I was eight. And if I'd known to put the right fancy words on it, who would have known? I could have got a tenure as a professor of metaphysics, but never mind. 
I've done it the way. I, I, I wasn't eight. I'm not as clever as you, but I came up with a very similar idea, all on my lonesome, but around Doctor Who. I came up with a short, I wrote a short story <gasps> when the Doctor realizes that everyone in the universe is actually the Doctor uh-huh. and the Doctor has regenerated billions and billions and billions through time and space. And I, st- I got the idea from the, a very weird idea that there's only one electron because, you know, electron mm. looks like a positron moving back in time or vice versa. Sure. But yeah, it's, so that was, and, and so there's only, there was this weird idea of there's maybe there's only one electron. Every electron is the same electron. Mm. And I went, and then I was, I, Doctor Who came to mind as it does. And then I went, oh, the doctor realizes the doctor's always, the doctor is everyone right. and just forgets or never, never comes into their doctor, time lord consciousness. And they just live their lives sort of time arched. Anyway. Yeah. So it, yeah. So Penrose, pff, nothing. Well, or not. I mean, well, Hinduism. Like, like, yes, just, <laughs> yes, yes. I think this true. might have been done before. I think that, that maybe, might be sure, not with Doctor Who. Not with Doctor though. Who. Russ, That's true. Call me Russell C. Davies immediately, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll write. I'll write it down. Um, where were we? Oh, right. So yes, there's this. Oh, yes, yes. There's this. Always been this tension. I think we find as a a species of individuals between us and what we would consider this creepy single hive that mm. that is just. It, it can be anything and everything, but it wants to to take you over and just mm. just eliminate all individuality and i guess like you know there's some kind of we then map that onto political systems and start complaining about other countries saying oh well those communists don't love their children too and sting has to write a song about it and anyway you know what's really interesting is it's been shown that when more progressive governments are in power around the world you get more zombie-based stories. Oh. And when more conservative slash righty kind of people are in power around the world, you get more vampire stories. Whoa. So you go through, to be maybe there's some kind of correlation between people go, oh, too much communism. We should write how horrible zombies sure. are. Get, We're all becoming too, too much elitism. Now we have to have vampires. Right. So, and, or things like vampires or zombies. What does the yeah. massive rise in post-apocalyptic fiction over the last 30 years tell you? That everything's great and we're coming to a wonderful time. Oh, fantastic. I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I just, for a moment, I thought that there might oh. have been something else on the collective conversation. No, 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 sure it's fine. Woo. Okay. So moving on with the book. Let's go burn some oil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally getting on a plane on Sunday. So please don't make me feel too bad. Oh my God. Just tell my children I love them before I go and ruin their futures. Anyway, where were we? So there's also the big scary fungus planet, which is going to take every Everybody over mm. and it actually i think it's, it's quite well done because it's the it, it has this very creepy phrase that it uses i'm probably gonna gonna fluff it here but it it's we're going on an adventure mm. right oh so every time it comes into contact with a sentient creature it kind of tunnels into them and then it's like oh wow new experiences yeah. new memories now it doesn't know that it is killing a sentient creature at the time so it's just it starts to speak out of their mouth and goes we're mm. going on an adventure mm. and then dissolves into a pile of goo or moves around for a bit and then dissolves into a pile of goo depending <laughs> on how well the fungus yep. has got at controlling it's, it's and it's it's every person because it, it's not doing it maliciously it doesn't understand it just goes oh I live on this boring, muddy planet where there's just me and the elements and doesn't really understand what. And then suddenly there's something else. Mm. And that something else is this colonist that's had memories and life. And, and she ends, 
yeah, it's, I think it's her. She ends up bad. Well, she ends up in a very bad way. She dies. Mm. And, and, it, and it's like, oh my goodness, I found a whole new universe. Mm. I found, and, and it invades on its body because it doesn't understand it. And it's just like taking every cell apart going, what does this do? What does this do? What does this do? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I can copy that. Oh, I can make that. I can make this. I can make that. Oh my, I haven't thought of that. And it just takes you apart at the molecular level and stores you inside. Yeah. So horrifying, mm. really horrifying. And like quite a good rendition of that trope, you know, like there's a sort of body horror aspect there. Mm. Um, and obviously the confusion of all the other colonists, like what, what is going on? And just that juxtaposition with this sort of innocence, this we're going mm-hmm. on an adventure. You can't mm. even reason with it because there's no face. It doesn't even know mm-hmm. that it is a being. It's just yeah. existing and sort of a seeking novelty because it's on a boring planet, I think, is the kind of yeah. rationalization there. I think evolution would actually probably trend you down into just something that's just like a photosynthetic slime that's just really good at reproducing. Yes. I don't think yeah. the intelligence... Why do you need to be that clever? Yeah, why? It would yeah, be a waste like, of energy. Yes. But don't worry yeah. about that. Uplift and, and, viruses, sure. And it... I know it's just good for the story, but you assume if you had a planet-wide intelligence built into the fungus, into the you know, into small, into singular, singular cellular life, then it would start. It would still know that. Well, not know, but it would start realizing that there was a power source from outside itself because there'd be the sun mm. at different points of its body mm. at different times. And if it was that smart, it would go, hey, I must be rotating on a thing because that thing's well, something's moving around me. You think that it would start. And also uh, maybe even picking up, maybe I'm just thinking too much about it, but as in it would pick up other electromagnetic radiation and start going, wait, I can see this. I can experience that. Anyway. You'd think, but we need a story. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) we've met it at the moment where it's become intelligent, but then only has only just become intelligent and it hasn't really gone much further than that. Yeah. And so these sort of three worlds collide. You've got the human spider coalition the fighting octopuses and the fungus planet. And I don't think we need to spoil it to the level of, you know, blow by blow what happens for the last third of the book. I think, you know, if you haven't read this, go and read it. We haven't completely spoiled it. We've just made it, I think we set the context at the scene. Yes. And and even though we will need to spoil the outcome, it's worth reading Mm. the resolution. It's a great book. It's entertaining. And I love all of the, the characterizations. I'm not going to say the characters because I would Mm. challenge to name a single character that isn't a Vrana Kern, but the, the way that they're they're drawn with from the different species is, is very entertaining. It's one of those moments I feel it's almost like a meta concept for Adrian Tchaikovsky. At some point he went, I've got to have faster than light travel. It's just becoming too hard Mm -hmm. to write these stories about people meeting each other without faster than light travel. So the octopuses create, already have, already have, yes, create faster than light travel and never really explain it. They just go, oh, we squeeze through the small gaps of the universe. And you're like, pardon me? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't understand. You have to be an octopus. And you're like, okay, good. And then, and and Adrian obviously just claps. Yeah, done. I am out of here, which is fine. It's science fiction, you know, whatever. Yeah. They're all magic. It's all magic anyway. But I did find it quite funny where he was just like, yeah, 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 they do that. That's fine. No one else can do it. They, that's why we need them. Thanks. Moving on yeah, now. Yeah, let's move uh, on. Because if you don't, if you think about it too long, it all falls apart. As it was yes. any faster than light travel, if it can exist, if you have a very large vo- universe volume, which we do, instantaneous mm. travel means that as soon as it exists, that species can go 
anywhere at any time and therefore would basically, if, in terms of astronomical time, instantly take over the universe. And there would be nothing yes. but this one species that figured out the keys to the the warp drive but we just we yeah. just maybe it's this species that just makes the whole thing cosmologically unlikely but whatever yeah. it's the 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 particular cosmology in which we set the story so that we can have a story stop picking oh. everything apart astrophysicists exactly. stop 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 being hateful more <laughs> also i mean in the it, not that i don't think it came up in the story but the idea that because you actually said the octopuses can't really reach their full potential because they are fractions. Mm. They can't just, they, they, as you said, they're multiple intelligences inside one body. And that means the civilization's a bit sort of scattered. So you could sort of say, well, that's why they don't take over everything. Cause even they can't work out like, let's take everything over. No, let's not. Let's do it. Let's not. Let's go over here. Let's not. So, oh, sure. Uh, I'm just saying that in a universe where such a thing could exist, if these yes. are humans, that universe has been around for approximately 13.8 billion years, which is plenty of time for some other species mm. to have already invented this technology and taken mm. over the universe but we are just not going to consider it's, it it's fair enough we're not talking about it. for something we're not going to talk about we've talked about it far oh, enough incredible uh, far too much keep doing that so i guess okay so let's, we, that's children of time that, children, children of ruin, ruin. Done. all right so right children of yeah. memory sort of a cold open at least for me because i hadn't read children of ruin for i don't know if you could tell a couple of years <laughs> Ago that I read that. So I read Children of Memory just uh, a couple weeks ago now and sent the frantic message as soon as I finished. Uh, I would say a little bit more literary than either of mm. the previous two. The previous mm. two are quite straightforward. You know, there's, there's like, you're on a spaceship. So and so comes mm. into the room. They're upset about something and then they, you know, go and do a thing. And it's in, uh, aside from the kind of accelerated development of the spider history, it's mostly in like a linear time. Whereas Children of Memory is starting, it's a bit, it reads a bit like Ian M. Banks to start with. You're, you're sort of like, wait, when is this set? Is this set? Yeah. Wait, yeah. who? So to try and set it up, but this is more information than you will really have when you start reading the book. The, there is a coalition of spiders, octopuses, humans. Can I just, you, can I can come a bit earlier than that? Please do. Is it for Mike's, because I know, I think I know, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong, but I think I know we're going to go with this. So I'd, I'd like to go just slightly earlier than that. I found it very confusing because it's on a planet where it's what the people have landed and for generations lived on a planet that wasn't ready for them, was only, you know, 60% terraformed. You could survive there, but not thrive there. Mm. And they're like, but don't worry, gumption will get us through. Spoilers, gumption doesn't get them through. Mm. And everything, and they're in, they're in the twilight. It's like the twilight, they're, they're small H humans. So they're not uplifted humans. And they're desperately trying to keep all their old crappy technology alive. Yeah. And there's stories of monsters in the hills and everyone's angry with each other. And, wh- and why I mention all this is because I hated it. I hated every moment of it. <laughs> after, after, after children of, of time and ruin, I was like, I don't care about awful humans being awful to each other. On an awful I just, planet. I don't, why am I reading this? And I'm obviously later on, I was like, well, okay, it makes more sense. Mm. But that's, I want to say that because it almost put me off. I wanted to put the book mm. down and walk away from it. So 
it's, I didn't, I didn't want you to come in and say, hey, this is where it's going to start. It's true. That's where it should have started. It's true. And it would be, <laughs> not should have, not should have. For someone with a very small attention span like me, that's where I needed it to start. I assume. Doc, uh, associate professor Natasha, please take it away. No, no, no. I'm, I'm glad you pointed out. That's the setting. That's the context. And I guess that's why I was saying you, this is more information than you have when you, you actually start the book because you've got no idea what's really going on. For the first mm, third of it. It's so long. It's, the, it's, it's so a lot long. of setup where you're like, wait, yeah. who? What? Yeah. So the, the, the context for this planet is that it's, it's really barely livable. Basically, there was mm. a sort of chemical event sometime in its history that released a lot of oxygen. So it kind of is breathable atmosphere. It's not so close to its sun that people are getting fried with radiation and there is liquid water. But other than that, it has basically nothing going for it. There's no biosphere. There's no soil. I guess it's not like immediately poisonous to people, but other than that, it's pretty grim. So the, the original colonists, they have to start with, you know, let's make soil. Let's dig holes and build shelters. Yeah. Let's create ecosystems. Put worms in the ground. Put worms and, and, and engineer six different kinds of beetle, but only one survives. Yes. So it reminded me a lot in that sense of Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson. Oh, yes. Where yes, you've yes, got yes, a yes, plucky yes. group of humans and they're just trying to get some ecosystems to hang together. But it's very difficult to, to manage ecosystems. And, and the more complex ecosystems are, the more they kind of manage themselves. So mm. these simplified ecosystems are really, it's, it's it's terrifying, you know, watching them sort of fall apart. And as you say, it's quite bleak. It's clear that the colonists are not doing well. They're telling each other stories about it's going to be fine, but it's not really fine. So, and, and, and the others, and, and there, there are and others other, out who are there, these others? and they're coming to steal our stuff. And uh, so, what you take our women slowly realize <laughs> is that there is a coalition of spiders, octopuses humans with a capital h and a, a representative uh, of the fungus species mm, right which is kind mm -hmm. of telling you a little bit about how children of ruin ends but it's very mm. important for the existential crisis and they're trying to fix what's going on in the colony but it's not going super well they also introduce in a way that made me think i had missed an entire book yes. some ravens yes <laughs> Yes, suddenly there are intelligent birds, and I'm like, "Sorry, what? Did I Who are children yeah. of? I don't know, flight? flight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ch children of shadow, yep. or yep. yeah, just casually. By the way, there's a Gethly and Gothly, yeah. uh, um, a male and female raven pair uh, that turn up. Sometimes look human, sometimes don't. Sometimes, but always seem to be chatting in weird ways, and you're like, "What the hell is going on?" What? And they even talk about what what really confused me. I'm sure it's all written in there, and I'm sure there's lots of great literary references. I am totally missing, being the ignorant swine that I am. They because they talk about these like I was thinking, oh, it's like Hugh and a Muin. I got that one of like Odin's ravens, mm. intelligence ravens, Hugh and Hugh and yeah, Hugh and a Muin. But then they also talk about the wolf, the shadow of the wolf. There's a giant wolf. They they never say it, but they always well, you never see it, but it's always like. There's a wolf out mm. there. You don't know if it's a metaphor or a literal giant wolf. And I was like, is that like Ragnarok? Like I, I was trying to work out, even now I don't know the answer to that. I've, I don't know. Well, we do, I you do know the answer to that by the end of the book, Ooh. but I have to say this is written in more of an Ian Banks style than anything else Tchaikovsky's done. So it is, it's one of those things where you sort of reread the ending 
a few times. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I can tell you what the wolf is now. I can only I can only yes, show we'll it to there. you. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there later Everyone on. Everyone will be like, what is happening? All right. So yeah. so you've got this colony, you've got this coalition, and they've all infiltrated yes. the colony. And they're all, and they're wearing human bodies. Wearing like. human bodies, which is hilarious. So the octopus yes. poses as an artist oh. with his eight children. Yes. Yes, that uh, was very strange. Took me a while. I love that. I love the fact. Yeah, so all all his limbs were were running around like children, like like angry. At one mute. point, he gets like, and he's like, a, he's a mute. Yeah, they're all mute. And only vocalize, yeah. and he's just doing beautiful art. That's all he does. And his kids get stuff and feed him, and all the rest, like your limbs would. And at one point, he gets um, molested, attacked by people, and his kids turn up with knives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. kids are like death yeah. and you're like yeah I just laughed my ass off and just suddenly all these, all these adults are like holy shit I'm being stabbed to death by angry children angry children yeah no that was amazing <laughs> and the uh, who's the mechanic the that's that's the spider um, right that's, there's yes, two that's, spiders yeah, that's right, yeah. a male, male and a spider, female yes. and the male spider poses as a mechanic who can fix anything and the female spider of course, poses as a hunter who can go hunter. and kill anything. So they all bring useful skills <laughs> to the colony. And the fungus person is yes, complicated. Miranda. Because, okay, yes, Miranda. So she oh. she is the fungus entity, but she is pretending yes. to be a human. And this is a yes. human who has voluntarily allowed it uh, to absorb her consciousness mm-hmm. and her memories and so forth and make a copy. So she yes. is a copy of a human embodied as a fungus pretending to be a different human. So I'd like to point out that Miranda doesn't, even though they say later on, oh, they meet her. You can't meet her. She's dead because you can't be copied without being taken apart unless I've missed something. Uh, so there's an existential question there, of course, of what is a copy and what is you. But, and, and a friend of mine once had a very large, oh, this just shows how nerdy we are. We once had like a, almost like a drag out punch fight over this. So it got, it got heated, but I don't think that is her. That was a copy copy. When she meets her original one, I'm like, no, you just met the first copy. The original one of you is dead. But anyway, let's never have an episode where we talk about Star Trek teleporters. Oh, I know. I know. That's where, that's where the oh, argument started. Oh. That's exactly where it started. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And if you're listening, Dr. Watson, you're wrong and you know it. <laughs> All right. I mean, there's probably some arguments we could make about the Pali exclusion principle and electron spins, uh, but we're not going to because we're going to talk good, about good. this particular science fiction <laughs> setting. Yep. So it's a fungus pretending to be human, pretending to be a different mm-hmm. human. And that leads... And has it... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. So, I'm sorry. I keep talking about it. I, but I just love the fact with Miranda when she, because she was like, it wasn't like she was, she was copying, but it wasn't like a perfect copy. So the, the, the intelligence inside is like, what would Miranda Yeah. Do? Yeah. Yeah. Not, it, so it wasn't thinking I am Miranda. I will do something. It's like, what would Miranda do right now? Yeah. And like checking the memories and thinking and very, very quickly, mm. but it was, it doesn't have a personality. It's not, it's not how they work. Yeah. So they have to copy ours. Uh, and and so, balancing so that against the fungus's innate desire to just have some more experiences. Mm. So at any mm-hmm. moment that it could just dissolve this human body and just go and kill everybody mm. and take them to pieces, yeah. because that would be a good fun way of exploring the universe too. So mm. it's it's sort of constantly yeah. battling this inner demon, um, which I found really fun. I, I really liked that setup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt quite sorry for it, it mm. them, her, because <laughs> uh, it, it was going through... 
There's a sort of a series of existential crises throughout the book. And the reasoning for that becomes more clear as the book progresses. It it was very much like, like, I could just do all these things, but we made a promise and we have to keep to our promises. Otherwise, we're just beasts. Yeah. And I like that. That's the only thing that's stopping it is it going, no, no, I am a respectable member of the intergalactic community and we don't eat our friends. Exactly. That's not what we, and that's it. That's all that stops it yeah. is the fact that it, it doesn't want to be a monster. It wants to be a nice thing, yeah. a person. Or whatever, whatever word you want to use there. Entity. Which I love um, and is one of the ooh. reasons that I think it is the ultimate good person. I don't think that I actually need to spoil the rest of the book. I just need to mm. cover a couple more points, which I okay. think would just be helpful to anybody reading this anyway. Because, the, you know, honestly, if you, okay, if you wanted to read this without spoilers, you should already have stopped, turned off the podcast. Absolutely. And this is very mild spoilers, but I think, honestly, if someone had told me this, it would have been a little bit helpful. <laughs> so the ravens that are introduced without mm. any real backstory, the backstory comes in kind of two-thirds the way through the book when you're like, I yep. could have done with knowing this at the beginning yes where they are from another uplift planet where Mm -hmm. this time humans arrived and they kind of needed some helpers so they uplift some some ravens and the ravens are actually really good at like dismantling stuff and Mm. and, and locating things that are useful they send them out i think Mm. too they they kind of go we can't everything's going wrong and they just go they get away or they release the ravens. They release all the animals. Basically everything mm-hmm. dies on that world, but then the ravens come back. Yeah. And, and they've changed. Yeah. Some so reason. I think something's happened. They up, they've been uplifted, but it didn't quite mm. work the way they, they hoped. They're very good at some tasks, but they're not like mm. useful because they're sort of uncontrollable. They'll just dismantle mm. things, find stuff, <laughs> be shouting and yep. screaming and dropping poop all the time. So they kind of, yeah, they send them off, but then they come back in these sort of slightly weird pairs and seem to mm. be sort of speaking, but in um, a way that's quite disconnected. And it's very hard to tell whether there's really a, an intelligence there. And mm. I guess sort of mild spoilers, but I, I'm still not sure that I'm even interpreting it correctly. The idea is that the uh, the two ravens, like a matched pair, is sort of like having mm. two halves of the brain. So yes, one of them is the yeah. pattern recognition and finding things and dismantling things. And the other one is the kind of creativity and synthesizing information. And neither of them mm. can really exist without the other, or at least they can't form a, a useful intelligence without the other. Yeah, that's right. They just become birds. Mm. It, the way I looked at it, at my, my similar to interpretation, I saw one as, once again, human and muon from, from one was the memory. So one could remember everything of human history, everything they've ever heard or read or seen. They could just regurgitate it ad nauseum. And the other one was the um, novelty-seeking one. So that was the one. So you had one that could – there was one that was – wanted to put everything back in the like if you had a line of stuff one would take it out of line and look at mm. it and the other would go no 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 it goes back in this yeah. way so they without them you just had one that couldn't do anything in my when i was looking one that was like oh i know everything but can't do anything mm. and the other one is like i'm just gonna break stuff break because stuff. that's yeah. what i want to and, and but it couldn't put it back together couldn't doesn't understand what it's doing really yeah. which is um, fun because there's actually in like modern ai training you actually can pit two ais against each other and they compete 
and this kind of competitive process where one is like trying to fool the other one and the other one is like no 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna understand can actually train them much more quickly than what the other kinds of learning like reinforcement learning where you say well done you get a gold star for doing that and a human has to train them or there's like where you've classified a bunch of things and you you train it to kind of look for patterns that are similar if that if your training set isn't complete enough or isn't big enough you can end up with a system mm. that doesn't recognize things properly the classic one being the whole ration tanks are just tanks that are taken photos of set of tanks that are taken in snow right so they're not <laughs> ration tanks they're just cold tanks and you end up blowing up your own <laughs> tanks so so this yep. kind of competitive mm. process is actually a i think i wonder if that's what he's drawing on a little bit here mm. where you've got these they're almost fighting each other sort of intelligences but mm. that that works together and makes them greater than the, the sum of their parts yep. so, so that's yep. very cool it's a neat concept it's a little bit I don't know, awkward, because narratively they're speaking in tongues, yeah. essentially. Yes. Yeah. They're speaking, they sound, I, the, as I said, my literary uh, background here from the great work, Michael Bay's Transformers. Oh, Bumble- fascinating. Bumblebee, Bumblebee, <laughs> Bumblebee has his voice box ripped out. He can't speak. Mm-hmm. So he always speaks by finding radio channels <gasps> and just whatever's on the radio, yeah. he gets. And he goes, you know, welcome back to the big game or whatever. They can only speak that right, way. Right, so he's right. always looking for human, basically, yeah, whatever's, whatever's, what's being said or what he's got recorded by someone mm. else to say. So I was getting that. And, that, that's, and that's, I think that's same feeling. Like that's, that's how AIs sound when we, you know, do a large language model or we try and mm. program them and then we talk to them and they just regurgitate things back to us. And if you make that large language model complicated enough, you, those things sort of hang together in a way that is seemingly with meaning but actually there's no consciousness there giving you any meaning it's just words that sound right together however what's terrifying is i have small children and actually honestly Mm. there are times when raising small children is it's just the same thing you'll say a phrase Mm. i said to my daughter Mm -hmm. the other day oh you've been in the wars because she has covered in like scrapes on her back from playing in the playground and then at at dinner tonight she said oh mummy i'm in the wars and it was like, no, we don't say that in English. You don't. You only ever say that to somebody. But yes, I don't yeah. know why. And all you've done is just replace the pronouns so that it makes sense yep. to you, which is exactly what a large language model would do <laughs> without any understanding of what you've said, because you don't know what a war is because you're six. Um, yeah. And, like, oh. and if you let her get away with it, then she would pass that on to other people. And that would just be the the use of language. It's always been that way for, yeah. for generations. Like I, I'm going to get really essential here. I, because once I had, well, not once quite recently had an argument in some not argument conversation that once again, vaguely heated uh, about a different person this time. I think the problem is me now, I think. <laughs> but it was about this idea of like, well, AI, you know, it's all machine learning is not smart. We have some sort of spark beyond not, they, did, they didn't mean divine spark, but they went, we have some sort of creativity. Mm. And I went, I don't They're like, pardon me. I went, I don't. I went, I don't honestly think I've had a creative idea in my life. And they're like, that's ridiculous. You write and you do plays and you do, and you, and like, and you create things. You're a teacher and you're like, yep, I can, when I think long and hard, I think I could point at everything that I have synthesized mm. from lots of different areas remixed. into a new thing yeah. I've remixed. Yeah. And I am, I'm honest enough to say, I don't think I've had a creative thought in my life in the idea of true creativity sure. uh, in the, now, I'm not saying I, I'm not all human beings. So maybe someone like 
Isaac Newton maybe did when he came up with calculus or, you know. He was in correspondence with Leibniz at the time. So, <laughs> so yes, so, so maybe maybe it was a Gothley and Gethley, you know, comp- took two by Cambrial brain. And maybe Marie Curie had some kind of creative spark when she got radiation in the brain. And, you She's know, also like, married with- to Pierre Curie. There were two of them. Oh my god, we, we we found the we found the we found the secret. Well, but it's I, I I don't know. I keep thinking it's just synthesis leading to greater complexity, yes. not create not creation from nothing, which has a problem of where did it start? But we won't go. I think it's Terry Pratchett oh. who has the ideas flying through the ether, and then the problem is that the solution to life, the universe, and everything hits the brain of a camel, who's a bad tempered camel to begin with, and then is like, what the fuck do I do with this? I can't even talk. I've got hooves. I, I remember that vaguely from one of the Discord books. I, I, I love the idea that, that actually the universe is just, our sun right now is just producing billions of ideas. We just call them neutrinos. Mm. And most of them, most of them pass through us without even, occasionally one will interact with us in a weird way. We go, aha! But then the phrenologists would be right and people with bigger heads would actually be more intelligent because the cross-section uh, look, would be larger. We, so. It's not the size. Oh, come, doctor. Sorry, associate professor. You just said if the surely, ideas are coming from the sun, then surely the cross-section No, that's matters. fair enough. But surely, surely it wouldn't be the size. Surely if it was curved in a way. I, 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 well, you can't I, reflect I, neutrinos. Not neutrin- but yeah, okay. Yeah, the, 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 the projected size at the angle to the there sun. Now I'm wondering there if there's a reason that one might pray in the direction of the sun. No. Okay, look, ah! this is a whole setting for a completely different series. Where have we gone, I'm just, Greg? I'm just I'm just trying to work out are you the are you the raven that comes up with new ideas and I'm the memory, or is it the other way around? Because we are babbling nonsense right I, now. That I, sounds like human. That's speech. right. And I think that I think that the trick with humans is we can we can do both. So we are very close. We are very close now to being able to tackle my existential crisis because we've actually before we yep. get there. Before we get there, oh sorry, before we get there, I wish there was a book. When I read that, I was so excited by the Raven story, how they came home and roosted under, started taking apart all the electrical systems, the humans had a war with them. I wanted to read that story. Mm. I didn't want to read it over a chapter. Like I wanted to read like the how they then they became friends and they realized they weren't dumb animals breaking stuff, that they were trying to they were a new intelligence. I, I wanted that story. And I wonder if Adrian Tchaikovsky was going to write that story and went, oh, I've done it for the third time. This is the third time I've done this. Let's, Let's do something, do something different. different. Yeah. But I wanted, I wanted that book. I want that book. Yeah. I wanted to go back and write that book. And I, 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 I found I, it so oh. awkward because it's like there's this, it's a bit Deus Ex Machina to be like, oh, and there's this other planet that you, we have literally never mentioned before where yeah. this whole yes. other thing happened, by the way. So I guess maybe there's room there for a novella. But yeah, I, I agree. Mm. It would have been... It would have really been Children of Time version three. Yep. Uh, yeah, so, I'm okay. Yeah, you that. like what you like. You know what you know. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's yeah. right. Where well, you don't need all of this very complicated. So that's the thing. So, uh, uh, it's just mild okay. spoilers. We don't need this for the existential crisis, but I do think it's fascinating. And it's a reason that people should read this book is that there is a child in the book who ex- seems to be experiencing time in a nonlinear fashion where she seems to be the granddaughter of the very first colonists, like the first family that land. But at Mm. the same time, she's also alive during the dying days of the colony. And yet Mm. it's clear that the colony has been there for much more than two generations. So it's very deeply unclear. Who is this girl? Why is she important? Why is her perception of time so weird? And how have the invaders, (laughs) you know, the, the expedition from the kind of galactic 
peaceful place, how would they get bound up in that and, and caught up in that? And as well, of course, of Rana Kern, how she gets bound mm. up in that and caught mm-hmm. up in that. That is a great mm. story. It is actually really fun. And I was, I was put turning pages. Okay. I was clicking the button to make the digital pages turn. Uh, <laughs> very excited. Kind of like, but, but what? Yeah. When? How did that happen? And genuinely, I did not see coming the, the reasoning. No. Behind all of no, that. No, I didn't know it was a surprise no, to I me didn't. and it was great. I I had a I had a oh you're in trouble now moment when when bad things happen. Spoilers, won't go too far into it, but the the people on the planet, small H humans, work out that the that the colonists are there mm-hmm. and they're not them and they've been lying and they all get rounded up and people try and fight and some people try and bad, that's, that's when the stabbing happens and bad things happen and they grab Miranda uh-huh. and they're going to ha- and I'm oh, like no. oh you have made a terrible mistake because this creature's like oh you want to play oh. huh and, and you're like oh if you kill me you don't kill me you just kill the thing that stops me eating everybody me. you can't kill it you can't well they can't kill it they, their, their villages with pitchforks and yeah, fire. Like and I was like, oh, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you poor, simple fools. You're in so much trouble. And then it, it all shifts and something, and you go, wait, shouldn't everyone just be lunch? Wait, hang on. What happened? And that's when I was like, hang on. Um, yeah. Like I was very, I won't say what it was, but I was very confused, but I did love that moment of, oh, you done effed up. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. So you, you think you've got this, but the nice teacher lady, oh, she's the lovely teacher lady who's all been lovely. She's the biggest dragon you've ever seen and you don't even know. Especially because you, uh, you kind of hate the small hate humans at yes. this point. They are, yes. they are yes. mostly just awful people Eaten. and, and probably <laughs> metaphors for us unfortunately but you know there there there's a sort of self-righteous moment there where you're like yeah mm. you got what's coming yeah. to you and then it all then it all shifts yeah. so you know it's worth reading mm. to figure out what's going on i think all that context that we've given is is just useful but shall i explain i am going to mention here blindsight because it's impossible for us <laughs> i feel like there should yeah, be a drinking game associated with this book club and if, if whenever mm. we say blindsight if people haven't got their shot ready they they should go and take a shot take a shot but blindsight experience. It- please, actually, listeners, please tell us what alcohol you will be drinking now. Every time we mention the I mention blindsight in these reviews, I'd love to know your your tipple of choice right now for this book. Delightful. The the book concerns the idea of what if you could have intelligence without consciousness, and what does that look like? And there's these different forms of intelligence. And I was sort of noodling around thinking about this in my head. Now that I think this may be. There's another idea that I can introduce, but I'll introduce it after the the existential crisis. Okay, so Gothley and Gethley, right? They left me in this 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 state, right, where I was mm-hmm. considering them. They're two halves of a brain. They talk to each other and they work together, and and between them, you can have a conversation with both of them together. You can't have a conversation mm-hmm. with one of them because then it's just a bird, but you can have a conversation mm-hmm. with both of them, and you will get something that resembles an actual conversation, right? It seems like you're talking mm-hmm. to, a, like, chat GPT. It's a little bit mm-hmm. disconnected, but it does sort of seem to have some processing there. And then they go and do things on their own volition, which seem to be orchestrated by intelligence. Okay, very cool. Did it understand me? And then it goes and does something, you're like, I think it understood me. me. Okay, Would it great. have done that if it didn't understand me? Probably not. Yes. Right. Yeah, maybe. And also, it's not doing what I asked, but it's doing what I need. Later on, you realize that, hey, stop ripping that. They rip things off walls. Like, stop it. And then they realize, oh, no, it's actually solving a problem you didn't know you needed solved. Yeah, yeah. 
because that's what yeah. it does. It's a problem. So- well, half it's a problem solving yeah, thing. Exactly. So yeah. Okay. But so and then I would say kind of at the other end of the spectrum, you have Miranda, who is this kind of one mm. consciousness synthesis that can emulate consciousnesses within her. Uh, she she can run these kind of low grade simulations of like okay so really it's the fungus being but it doesn't really have a name and it's running a simulation mm. of Miranda what would Miranda do mm-hmm. and then Miranda has to kind of then run a simulation of what would this other human do so it's yes. like simulations all the way down so that's quite fun yes all right but mm. it can run mm. that simulation and not only that it can it can feel the results of that simulation. So the fungus creature will run a simulation, Miranda, Miranda will be terrified and the fungus creature will Mm. get terrified. And actually that has some really bad interactions in the middle of the book where Miranda Mm -hmm, goes through mm -hmm. some stuff that would freak out Miranda and the fungus creature gets Mm -hmm. freaked out and it's like, don't dissolve, don't dissolve, don't dissolve. Don't eat everybody. This is just a simulation (laughs) of what a human would feel, right? It has to remind itself that the simulation isn't real. Okay, so I have a question to you, Gregoire, before I finally mm. get to the crux of this crisis. What yes. is empathy? That is a very hard question for anyone, and especially for me. What is empathy? Empathy is being able to feel someone else's, not pain, but understand that they're, they're a creature or a thing or a person that has wants and desires and concerns that aren't your own. Wow, I sound like Chachi. No, no, but that's fine. Sounds great. So, well done. Good simulation of a human who would answer that question. Thank you. So, Well done. Thank you very much. What I was saying, what you're doing with empathy is you're running a low-grade simulation of the other thing that you're looking at, Mm. and you're running that simulation, and then you're saying, how would that being Mm. react? All right, and then you feel what that simulation feels. That's sort of like logistically what we're doing when we're enacting empathy. Mm. Now, we have mirror neurons in our head. So when someone raises mm-hmm. their hands or someone yawns or smiles, we actually have been built circuitry that is actually predisposed to humans to, to kind of like pick up on that and then do it back. So it's actually kind of hard to switch off for us. And that's why there's eight billion of yeah. us. I know everyone's like, we're all full of hate and everything. That's why there can be so many apes on one planet yeah. because. Otherwise, we'd be eating each other's faces all the time. Empathy is critical Mm. for having something that resembles a society and not just killing each other, right? It's actually really important. So where it all, I I had my moment and went, oh, no. Mm. (laughs) Okay, oh, no. (laughs) Builds on what you were saying earlier, right? We're having a nice chat. We're able to mm-hmm. come up with ideas. We're able to be creative and more intelligent together than we would be alone. Mm-hmm. All right. You could mm-hmm. almost say yeah. that between us, there exists some kind of collective entity that is smarter than both of us mm-hmm. individual, right? We've, we've, it's smart enough it to know better. You well, I think that's a, a different collective entity, but I'm sure that one's yeah. just as clever and creative as us, <laughs> if not more so. So the thing is that that collective between the two of us, it self cannot run a low grade simulation of another being. Okay. I can run a low grade simulation. You can run a low grade simulation. We can individually experience empathy, but our collective intelligence can't experience empathy. Or if it, if it can, it would have to be in a very low bandwidth, a very, very crude way in that I would say something and you would say something back. And in that collective Mm. communication, we would slowly formulate the idea of the low grade simulation of the thing that we're collectively considering. But it right. wouldn't, we, we would struggle 
to then feel anything. And certainly our collective intelligence together cannot feel anything because we don't share any, you know, the, the things that transmit emotion, right? Except maybe our facial yeah. expressions. I'm a big bag of goo. You're a big bag of goo. It's electricity firing around. Stuff's going on in our brains, allowing us to do certain things. Where that comes from, blah, blah, blah. We don't really mind right now. Let's just say that it happens. Between us, though, when we interact and more humans you add on to it, you start getting bigger ideas, mm. better ideas, and at least better computing mm. power. Are you saying that between us right now, it isn't just a, a associate professor Natasha and Gregoire plus one plus mm. one? It's something more I'm than I'm saying that. that there's a, an exponential okay. increase there that together we can fill in the gaps, that we can bounce mm. ideas off each other in a way that just simply absolutely isn't possible by just sitting by yourself in a room. Would I record this podcast alone? Would you record this podcast yes. alone? No, no, exactly. Right? It, it, yes, it, exactly. Yes. The, and, and even the listeners right now are listening to it having ideas that they probably wouldn't have had by themselves, Yeah. yeah. even if they just read right. the book. So you can think of Gothley and Gethley as doing a, a similar thing. Now, Miranda can do that with other entities, but she's also, I would say, the most empathic being in the universe because she can, in her own substrate, create much higher grade simulations and then feel what they're mm. feeling than anything that you or I can do. So she, she's my hero. All right. So that's that's good. I don't, I don't have an existential crisis about about worshipping a yeah. fungus, that's fine. All right. But what I do worry about, all right, now I've just said that we can't create uh, a low-grade simulation, but we can to some degree. If I look intently at your face and I listen to how you're feeling, mm. we can synchronize our emotions to some degree. However, as we add humans to the mix, we can definitely become more creative and we can become more intelligent. Mm. I would say that we basically cannot become more empathic. In fact, I'd say that it actually gets more difficult to become more empathic, the more humans you add to the mix, where the way that we coordinate our emotions is through our body language and our tone. And, you know, as we add more humans, those things get lost. On, on Smart Enough and Better, we've talked about the monkey sphere mm-hmm. before and look and the idea that the human brain can only really handle about 200 interactions. Sure, with sure. That's about it. Roughly, you know, plus or minus 10%. Right. Power. And that's just, and that's it. That, and that's because that's what we evolved to deal with. And we just say, so, and even that, I went, that's a lot. I can't, that's a lot to me. That's, sure. Oh my God, that's a lot. And you can but, think of things like a national anthem, for instance, as trying to synchronize mm. the emotional state mm. of millions mm-hmm. of people in an extremely crude way. Even nowadays in our systems, oh, I'm left and I'm right. I'm, you know, like I, I follow this party. I follow that political party. And you're like, oh, Yes, you do, but you're really making is you're trying to make camps mm. whilst by make, making an other yeah. basically, but you're still trying to say we are the same, they are not right. the same, and we will work together as one big tentacle. But that beast will go burn down a house, so and will kill people, and will uh, well, I mean, to be brutally honest, there's wars going on, horrible wars in the Middle East going on right now, and I. I go, oh, that's terrible, and it is, but also I'm not losing my mind over it because it's a long way away and I can't quite understand Right, it. and so this comes to the core of the crisis, which is that as we add more humans, we get really great, we get really intelligent, we get really creative, but our mm. organisational structures, which allow us to do all of these things together, like build telescopes and go to Mars and probe the deep oceans and record incredible podcasts and distribute them. Those structures themselves do not engage in the process of making low-grade simulations of other structures, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. 
except to the degree that it is necessary to survive. Basically, a kind of game theory in that the Pentagon is running a simulation of whatever is going on in the Middle、mm. East by the time this is、mm. sent out, purely、mm. in a kind of I want to know where to position things so that. We don't、mm. lose people and and minimize you know casualties all around. Not in a in a it doesn't feel anything right. It's an organization. We haven't built our organizations with empathy, and I don't know this. This just kind of threw me a little bit because it's if we're unable to simulate that and then feel it. If our organizational、mm. structures, the only way we can、uh, manage ourselves to be collectively intelligent is also collectively ruthlessly. What's the point, right? I got really sad, and I wished my fungus friend was here <laughs> because my fungus friend would be like able to do this, right? She's、uh, this sort of infinite fungus substrate、yes. could simulate、yes. together. Like you know, a whole country,、mm. and know how that how all of those individuals are feeling. She could synchronize、yes. that up, right? But we individually、mm. can't, nor can our structures. And so I felt a bit sad. It,、mm. <laughs> yes, I. Wow. Okay. Yes. Wow. So I felt like maybe the solution is we need to build into any organizational structure the ability to run a low grade simulation of the other structures that it interacts with. Right, so if you are a mining company that's going to mine for some、yeah. minerals, maybe、yeah. you need to talk to the people who own the land that you're about to blow up, but also kind of like a do a, an empathetic simulation of like, okay, well, what would all these other people want? Now that's tricky, computationally, logistically. How would you do that? And then you have to feel. I, I ch- challenge a mining company to feel something, but we would need to set up our、mm. our、uh, organizations with pain receptors, essentially. However, that lo- whatever that looks like, I don't know. But you basically need to sim- simulate empathy in order for our organizational structures not to creatively and intelligently destroy everything. So I guess my point is the true. Devouring fungus monster isn't the devouring fungus. <laughs> friends we made up on the way. Exactly, <laughs> it's it's us. So there you go, Gregoire. That's that's my that's my horrible crisis. Is that that, that it's already been said? Humankind is a fungus. We are the, monster. the monsters. We are, the and I'm not sure that's what Adrian just, wanted me to take away from the book, but that's no, what I got.、No. I I absolutely hear you on that, and I think for me the answer to your Issue is in something you've already said anyway, which is about the simulation comes. Gestalt organizational mind cannot feel, and it but it is made up from individual minds that can, and we have both been in situations, and I know you've talked about it off mic, so I won't go into too much, and I definitely have as well, where. People, you've been part of a group or an organization that does something bad and wrong, and you sit there going, "Why is no one saying anything?"、Mm. And I have, in my younger days, I have sat back and let it happen because obviously I didn't know enough, or smarter, better people will handle this, or it's not my place to worry about it. It'll only affect people who don't look like me, you know. Whatever the answer is, you know, like just be honest, you know. Like, oh well, it's not you know, that'll only affect three percent of the nation. <laughs> Vote anyway. But just just throw、yeah. that in there. Get all get all political for a moment. And 
So we don't care enough or we don't think it's going to worry. But I know that you and I have both occasionally stood up and gone, well, what's this horseshit? (laughs) What's going on? What's going? No, wait, but that's going to lead to a shitty outcome. And sometimes you get shouted down or ignored or pushed aside. But sometimes people go, oh, yeah, and they disconnect from the Borg mind for a moment and go, that's right, I'm a person, that's a person, this is a stupid idea that's going to end in badness. Mm. Let's not do it. So I think when you, if you're just following orders, you end up with the Holocaust, to get brutally on, mm. you know, let's, let's go down that path for a moment. But there is a lot of power in the organisation. Like that's, We have cities, we have spaceships, we have all sorts of, AI, we have lots of cool stuff, we have... Wonderful beaches and parks. You know, we, we all, a lot of us on the planet people eat enough food now. Some of us too much, you know, all sorts of good, interesting problems. But by disconnecting from it, we're not getting rid of it. We're not saying it's bad. We're just stepping back and going, just remember we're all monkeys on this planet and we have to remember the monkey side mm-hmm. of things. And enough of us have to remember that is important as the organizational thing. Whether or not we do it is a very different uh, question. Uh, but, that's the, that's the one I struggle with. But I'm, I, I, I agree <laughs> that yes, certainly I, I, I take on the role of the pain receptor a lot mm. of the time, and I am that squeaky wheel that says, mm. "I think this is insane, and we're all crazy people for collectively doing this thing." I just there's something there's something that just unnerves me about the whole thing, and that's why I do think it's, the ravens are the enemy. And you should yeah. you should quarantine that planet while you can, because they will yeah, take will. you apart, and you cannot reason yep. with them, and they won't ever do a simulation because they cannot because there's no room in between the cores, the screams of the crows as they talk to each other. There's nothing in there that, that generates empathy. Oh. oh, you're right. And I, I don't remember if they talked about multiple crows working together either, if Zoe was just pairs. Not really. And that's oh. another reason why I wonder mm. why, if that's partly why he didn't go into the, what would mm. that whole book look like? Because with two, you can kind of, consider that okay right fine what happens with crow babies are they always born with a sister and a brother or like there's two nests next to each other maybe they just fly around until one finds what other one that it requires oh great you're here brilliant been looking for you it sort of falls apart i think when you you take it out of context I, I, i love the idea though that you just have this world that's just full of supervillains, <laughs> individual supervillains yeah. who are shockingly clever, as in two crows mm. who are just like the smartest things on the planet by far, and their only enemy are the other supervillains. Sure. And you can work with supervillains. I've watched a lot of crossover movies and read a lot of comics where the villains go, let's all work together to kill the Batman. Yes. And of course, they all, it all falls apart. But. Yes, that would be a fun story. Not not that they're evil, just that at the end of the day, they can't work together as a civilization. Oh. And that's the only thing that stops. Get Adrian Tchaikovsky on the phone immediately. Uh, I think after Russell T Davies, I'll, I'll get Adrian. I mean, given that you knew, you know, Deborah Francis White, I wouldn't be surprised if he also just, oh, obviously, <laughs> I know, I, I went to writing college with Adrian Tchaikovsky. I didn't, you know, no, what, Greg, how do you know all these famous people? It's awesome. I know that he's, I know that he's, he and I are roughly the same same age uh, i think he's like a year older uh-huh. than me i found out very recently that he's like a year older than me so i was like oh that's good we're both very young um, I, I learned much later in life there are people in this world who and maybe you're one of them when you talk about empathy and feeling you're not using a metaphor you mean it i i I've, i know people who feel 
other people's pain, not in a, not in a silly way, but they get upset when someone's upset. And I used to think they were putting it on because I'm a monster. <laughs> so I, I didn't realize it was a thing. I didn't understand. I, I'm not saying I don't have empathy. I just, for me, it's, oh, it's, it's hard to, it, it's, it's like, Recently, we're on the internet with a little podcast. People discovered there are some people in the world who can't picture things in mm. their mind, so that they they cannot make pictures. And this whole thing, all these podcasts, or something. I can, I can, I can picture things in my mind. But there are like one of the like Hank Green or John Go John yeah. Green can't literally picture things. And it was a whole thing. And I went, but earlier that I was like, I don't feel it. I don't. I don't feel it. Now, I, so that does. I've had to learn it. So you learn it, and and it's also it's it's my Gregoire's theory of not being a dick. But it's it's enlightened selfishness. I you like to move smoothly through this social world without upsetting people because that would be good for you. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. If everyone a rising tide lifts all ships, and and that can seem monstrous, but also if you like, well, as long as everyone's doing okay, you're not going to come in my house and kick my head in and take my stuff. My life is much better. I, and and so when I learnt that, that sounds so weird. <laughs> but when I learnt that, then it, it leads to the same outcome. Mm. It's just it's just like we were talking about before with the fungus. It it's like oh, it's doing a thing, but it doesn't know why it's doing. Oh, the thing. although except have you read not Peter Watts' Blind Sight, but his other trilogy? The, the creepy, oh, no. terrifying trilogy with that starts with the submariners on the oil rig. Shots, by the way. Shots. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, did I say? I, did, I think I did, didn't I? Yeah. You did. You, did. Right, no, you, it, have, you have to take a shot. It listener. starts with the submariners on the oil rig, moves up to the mm. world-eating virus, and then ends with mm. full-on thriller, like drone attacks, internet, cyber thriller, absolute bonkers stuff but there's some things in there about our psychopaths is it the same to pretend to be mm. empathetic versus to actually be empathetic so oh. i think we've got a new trilogy to discuss mm. on another episode we will have to do that i i want to talk about this i, I don't think i'm a psychopath i i don't i really don't think i am that's what a psychopath would say but i don't think i have only because i've met a real psychopath and that person they thought they'll be, they were a very smart person, like as in I, IQ smart and successful in their chosen career. But they thought they were being really clever all the time, outwitting everyone. And, and you go, we can see you. Yeah. I can see you, buddy. I know what you're doing. I, I can see you and everyone can see you. And the only reason that you're not being punished for your shitty behavior is your power and prestige, which your psychopathy and intelligence has gained you. But that's the only thing protecting you, not the fact that person I'm pretty certain thinks that they're clever and they've tricked everyone. And you're like, no, no, no. We know that you're a bastard. We just can't do anything yeah, about sure. it. And that's a very different situation to and be in. And I wonder if um, that's because they're not running enough low-grade simulations of everybody around that, them. I don't think they can. Right. They don't, I don't think right. they can. So they think, oh, I've tricked everyone because no one's, no one's kicking me down the street. Cause if in my mind, they're thinking to themselves, well, if I found out someone had this over me, I would kick them down the yeah. street. So that if I'm not being kicked down the street, therefore they don't know. And you're like, no, 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 no. We, we can, can just be we nice. Can, we can, it's a thing. We can just work around yeah. it. We can use our empathy is not a yeah. weakness. It's actually an ability to see pricks <laughs> and work around them and work collectively yeah. to stop the horror. Anyway. Um, I'm just glad I'm not mm. in the society of pure ravens, basically. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's a mixed population of hawks and doves. 
I, yes, that's true. I did, I did like, I, I did like the simplicity of it. Part of my brain went, oh, to be just to have the one job in your mind instead of having like, yes, you, you're probably lesser because of it. But I was like, oh, such clarity, such clarity of thought. The other half wouldn't be asleep. It wouldn't be like being a dolphin and being half asleep. You'd just not exist. Oof, I don't know. I don't know. I, oh, as always but with these you? discussions, but I'm left you? with a. Would you? A, I'm not sure that my existential does, dread does feels does, maybe just transformed. <laughs> does Arena occur? Does she exist? She's a whole lot of ants running around. Like, does she? Anyway, hmm. Anyway, I'll come back to the quantum mechanics theory time. of consciousness. We'll have to get to that in another episode. Right. Solve all the problems of the universe. So- What's, so we have to find these other books then. So the other, oh, um, no. uh, Peter Watts books. That's okay. That's why right. I'll, I'll put them, put them in, in the, in the um, yes. put them in the show notes. No, no, it's yep. uh, I, behind the curtain listeners, unusually for Greg and I, we're recording in the evening. So I've already done a full, uh, day's work and, and Greg has done yes. that. Plus he's also in a different time zone, which is ahead of mine. Yes. So I'm in the future. Is it good? Uh, uh, it's warm. <laughs> global warming anyway yeah. <laughs> I, um, could be so yeah so i'm much less on point is is, is my excuse that i don't remember immediately <laughs> starfish it's called starfish just starfish okay so peter what's starfish i'll look it up i'd just like to point out just use your low-grade simulation for just a second and think about what we've been talking about for the last 90 minutes and then come back and say, I'm sorry, I'm not on point like I normally am. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. Well, you don't get to be associate professor without an encyclopedic mm-hmm. knowledge of science fiction. We're not talking about that. <laughs> that means nothing on this podcast. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a huge ship in my, actually, I really don't. I'm very, 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 very happy for you, Natasha. Doctor, I'm sorry. Keep That's saying Dr. Right. Dr. Natasha rolls Natasha. off the I'm, tongue a lot more. Plus, it does. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, well, are you Associate Professor Dr. Uh, Natasha? Or is it, no, we're not in Germany. It's fine. No, it's just, uh, I, and as long as it's a prof <laughs> and not ass prof as well. Ass prof. You don't <laughs> be an ass prof. No. No. Well, look, no, I won't say what I'm saying. Look, it's yeah. not there. So that's good. So, yes, look, I hope, listeners, that you also now have an existential crisis. Even if that crisis is, well, I'm going to go read this book, because we have not actually told you much. No, we for the last. We yeah. told you lots. But it is still, oh, it's there's so a lot to read. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot more. We can't talk about the we wolf, can't talk about the, I can't, can't tell the you what the wolf is, Greg. No, I can only no. show you the wolf after no. the recording has ended. <laughs> Absolutely. No, we'll have to, we'll have that conversation afterwards. So gentle listener, this has been an emergency book club all about the works of Adrian Tchaikovsky. Well, three of them anyway. And the children of time, children of ruin, and more importantly, children of memory. What are your thoughts, listeners? I'm actually really intrigued what you thought of this book, what it made you think as well. I, I didn't like it to begin with. I put it down and went, Oh, that was really weak. Like a, what a weak book. And then I realized I couldn't stop mm. thinking about it. I went, oh, that's not a weak book yeah, at all. Right. It, it, it was just, I just took me, it took me a while to process it. I'm and, still processing. Yes. It's been a month and it keeps coming back to me in flashbacks. <laughs> so I think it's definitely worth a read and then let us know your thoughts. Absolutely. Yes, let us know, listeners. We'd love to know exactly what you think of it. What are your in-depth ideas? Let us know. You know the usual places. Get on, tell us on the podcast or email us, greg at smartenoff.org. Yes, Associate Professor Natasha, thank you very much for coming tonight and talking about your crisis. I hope your crises, the crises, chrysopodes. So <laughs> I hope I've spread them to listeners have- everywhere. So now we can have a, a, a cascade of crises and I'll feel better. That's how empathy works, right? I think we solved everything. I think so.
Cheers. <laughs> 